because I did have a couple um, national races where I would hyperventilate. I could barely see by the time I was finishing a race. Mm. And I ran 234 flat um, with a bathroom blip break. <laughs> and, I won, and I won the U.S. championships there. Um, and that is what actually gave me the spot on the world championships team for 2015 in Beijing. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, choosing and joining us for the Run the Race podcast. Uh, we are on episode almost 60 now. I'm Jason Dennis, your uh, host uh, based here in Columbus, Georgia. And I hope you're listening maybe from all over the nation or the world. We talk on a pretty much weekly basis about fitness or faith, two things I'm very passionate about, and I hope you are as well. And, uh, you know, spring has sprung, or at least close to it. As I'm recording this, we're a few days away, and that means we just had daylight saving time. And so you have a, an extra hour of uh, sun, uh, sunlight at the end of the day. So no excuses to get out maybe after work to, to walk or run or do something else outside and join uh, this nice weather we've been having and a good time for a race hopefully uh, if you're a runner or having some kind of event coming up I have a, uh, a marathon coming up in just a few days in Greenville South Carolina gonna mark off my 14th state in terms of running marathons and the uh, the woman that is in charge of our race, uh, professional runner and coach Esther Herb Atkins, she is my guest for this podcast. Uh, we talk about all kinds of things. Uh, her being known as the Smiler at races, and uh, she's just had some impressive accomplishments in terms of Olympic trials and uh, two thirty three marathon, which is amazing considering that my uh, PR, my best, is a four fourteen. So we talk about in person races and competing during. COVID, uh, you know, her career, and also, you know, the, the fact that some of the things mentally she's gone through, having severe performance anxiety earlier in her career, and now she's a mom-to-be. And uh, we talk about, you know, does uh, does she and others use music uh, when they're running and the nu- nutrition and, and injury tips as well. So some great things from uh, Esther Atkins. And uh, I just you know, had something to pull something up on my calendar. Uh, interestingly enough, I got a, a run calendar. Uh, go figure, right? Uh, for uh, For Christmas. One of those daily ones you rip things off of. And uh, this one, uh, for today that I'm recording, it says, Most people think your life changes forever the second you cross the finish line. Runners know that your life changes forever the second you decide to go to the starting line. That quote's from Unknown. So, uh, you know, the key is just to get started. If, if you've been kind of slacking off or not doing much with the gym or anything else uh, during uh, the COVID pandemic for the last year now, um, you know, it's no time like the present to get started and get out there and get healthier for your mind, body, and soul and, and uh, getting back out to church and uh, getting back into the Word, all those kind of things. And uh, in terms of getting out and about, um, I have a quick update for you on uh, one of our recent pod guests who uh, just uh, has done some amazing fitness things, Brandon Lott, who was on episode called Pushing Through a Snowy 350-Mile Race. He he just finished the ITI 350, the Iditarod Trail Invitational in Alaska. So his wife, Marilyn Lott, posted on Facebook uh, that Brandon finished it, uh, you know, did that last week, and although it took him much longer than he had hoped, 
you know, it was all about finishing. So it took him 10 days and three hours and some change. And so he said it felt like a lifetime. The first time he did it eight years ago, it took him about six and a half days. So he was hoping for much better. He thanked everybody for their support. And, and he, you know, still wants people to donate to Sleep in Heavenly Peace on his behalf. That's helping kids get off the floor and, and get into beds um, all over the nation. So definitely go and donate to them. It's SHP, Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Look them up. And it's a, it's a rally-up campaign. They want people to donate on, on Brandon's behalf. You know, really quit is not in this guy's vocabulary. Uh, in, in those last 100 miles or so, he was dealing with a really bad hurting back. He was hunched over, kind of gimping through the snow in Alaska, kind of a weird stride and causing some blisters for him. And uh, so now he's back on the farm in, uh, in the Washington State area, uh, back running even now. Uh, he, he's sore and actually even has a mild case of frostbite in his uh, right fingertips, um, but, uh, but he's lucky because others have had some really bad cases of frostbite. So, uh, congratulations to Brandon Lott. Now to our conversation for this episode, uh, Esther Atkins, formerly Herb, uh, she graduated from Case Western Reserve University where she earned six All-American titles as a runner and a 2008 D3 National Championship in the 10K, uh, so very impressive. She was a. Uh, she ran to the 2014 USA Marathon Championship and earned a spot on the 2015 World Championships Marathon team. Then in 2016, Esther placed 11th at the 2016 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials and also 11th in the New York City Marathon. A really fast runner indeed. Um, and uh, she, you know, talks about uh, really holding her hand. Uh, in a heart sign over her head as a sign of love for fellow runners as she finishes off a lot of her races. She, for eight years now, she's been a coach uh, for high school, but also for McCurdy Trained, which uh, we're having this McCurdy Marathon that she's in charge of in Greenville, South Carolina this weekend. And uh, she uh, uh, just uh, recently, you know, uh, last year had a miscarriage, but is pregnant again now, and her and her husband looking forward to having their first child. Uh, she was asked to describe herself in one word, and she said, spicy. So here's our uh, conversation with these, uh, this spicy runner, Esther Atkins. And I'd like to welcome to the podcast uh, professional runner and coach Esther Atkins, who is in Greenville, South Carolina, just a few hours uh, north of us here in Columbus, Georgia. Thank you uh, so much for joining us, Esther. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, running the the marathon, the race that uh, you're in charge of. Um, uh, marathon, McCurdy-trained micro-marathon with uh, about 50 athletes signed up so far and, and a capping at 100. So being able, we're going to talk to you about kind of how we're, you know, trying to do some of these events amidst COVID and going to talk to you about uh, your uh, fast marathon finishes. I mean, just a little uh, a little slower than two and a half hours, which uh, is crazy in my eyes. It's, it's amazing. Um, and, and I know that uh, you, you have a lot to say about music and nutrition and uh, and all kinds of things during long runs as a coach yourself. But first of all, you know, um, I, I read somewhere that you are known as the smiler in uh, the world of, of marathons and, and spectators. And, and I know that you um, typically finish a lot of your races with uh, hands and a heart over your head. Tell me about that and why you're known as this uh, smiling runner. Yeah, so... Um... I would say, actually, it kind of goes back to when I was in college. I went to Case Western Reserve University, um, and I was 
I could have graduated early if I had just stuck with music. So my advisor, he suggested I pick up this new major called cognitive science. Hmm. Um, and in cognitive science, I was able to learn about bottom-up processing and top-down processing, which basically is like the differences when your brain tells your body to do something versus when your body tells your brain something. Um, and so I learned about how if you smile, it does actually tell your brain that you're happy, even even if you're running a marathon or if you're uh, in a little bit of pain. So that was one of the techniques that I started using while I was still in college and it really stuck around. Once you practice it enough in practice, um, it ends up just becoming what your grimace is. is your grimace becomes a smile. Um, and so I was able to kind of incorporate that into how I work hard. Um, I do think it actually makes me, and I do really enjoy racing marathons. Part of it is that like, until a certain point, you should be enjoying yourself and not be working that hard because otherwise you're working too hard. You know, you're, you're going to pay for it in the last stage of the race. So um, that's part of why I like to make sure that I still am enjoying myself and um, really taking it all in. And I mean, especially places like Boston and New York, um, those have been amazing places to, to have crowd support and um, really take it all in especially for the first 15 miles or so. Yeah, I've heard some people say that even if you your smile is fake, like in the middle of your marathon or any other uh, sport or anything you're doing, if it's a, a fake smile, that it still kind of releases, you know, something scientific where you – you know, it makes your effort easier or you're not as in pain as in much. So do you hope that like you're smiling and, and having your, you know, hand in a heart over your head as you finish these, you know, uh, great races? I mean, do you think, do you hope that rubs off on folks and then kind of is cont yeah, that's contagious? The other part of it. That's the other part of it is that I do see myself as an ambassador for the sport. You know, there are a lot of people out there, especially on the New York City marathon course, who've never run a marathon. They don't really know what it's about. They're just like, see a bunch of people running down through the street. I mean, obviously, in New York, there's a lot of awareness about it, but still, like, they don't know what it's like. And so if they see a bunch of miserable, pe miserable people out there, they're never going to want to run a marathon, you know? Yeah. Or even pick up running in general. So I think it's really important that, like, it's important to me to show people how much fun it can be. And, um, and not in necessarily in a, a, a deceitful way, but like actually in an honest way, I, I really do enjoy it. And, and the hearts over my head, um, that's about being grateful for my competition and, um, the fact that they're there to make me stronger and faster. And, um, they really have brought out the best of me. They, they are not necessarily the enemy. You're, you're, you're kind of uh, sharing in the pain, right? <laughs> right. They, I mean, you, the, if, if competition didn't make you better, then everyone would run their best times in, in practice. You know, like if competition only made you worse or made you feel bad, then you would probably run your best times in a time trial by yourself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of a shift in, in mentality to, instead of focusing on myself during a race, being able to focus on helping somebody else, even if she might be a little bit fitter than me, 
um, to know that no matter what, even if I don't have a great day, that if I help her PR or something like that, that gives more meaning to my race. Yeah. And, and smiling, you know, especially after the race, cause you're done and you can just, you know, maybe rest or, or eat really whatever you want at that point. <laughs> sure. I mean, marathoners mostly eat whatever they want anyway. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, just to get to know you a little bit, we do a kind of a fast four at the beginning of uh, the, the chat. And uh, so we're going to just kind of hit, put you on the hot seat here. The first one is what is your current job description, uh, both at work and also at, at home? So my current jobs are, I am a coach for McCurdy Trained. Um, so I privately coach about 50 adults right now, maybe 45. Um, and essentially that means that I write their training for them and they give me feedback and I, you know, give them comments on their, on their workouts and that kind of thing. And then, you know, I, whenever anything comes up, I'll give them guidance, that kind of thing. Just just like you would if you had a team coach, but obviously, um, a lot of my clients actually never ran in high school or college and maybe never even did a sport. So they don't really know what that coach athlete relationship is like. So it's my job to kind of teach them. And, and I have had a lot of, um, really good relationships come out of that. Um, and then I'm also volunteering with a high school team right now at Greenville high here in Greenville, South Carolina. And, um, that's been really fun to kind of connect with some younger runners and, um, help them learn some of the lessons that took me a little bit longer to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully a little bit earlier than, than, uh, I was able to catch on. Um, so yeah, at, at work I'm a coach. Um, and at home I'm primarily a dog mom and a wife. Um, and my responsibilities in that are mostly just, um, cuddling and preparing meals. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, that sounds like a fun job. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, uh, yeah, I know that you've, uh, I think you've been running for close to 20 years and, and coaching for almost half that. Um, so tell me about what do you do on maybe a, whether it's be a daily or weekly basis for yourself to, to stay fit or to be, you know, in shape for whatever you want to do. Right. So I was basically competing or trying to compete up until about the Olympic trials last year. Um, uh, maybe a few months before that, I basically realized that it, I wasn't going to be able to finish it no matter what I did, just because of a Achilles injury that came up in 2019. Um, and it really came to a head kind of at the end of 2018, early 2019. I really tried everything I could to get through it, um, to try to get to the trials and not just to the finish line or to the starting line, but also to the finish line. Um, but so for 2020, you know, I've just been kind of doing more physical therapy and trying to really rehab that now that I have nothing really on the horizon, especially once COVID hit and everything shut down, there was really nothing to train for. So there's no reason for me to rush back um, from this injury and try to do things right. So, um, but now I'm actually 17 weeks pregnant mm. and I am running about four days a week. Um, and it's funny cause I'm having a bit of a discussion with my husband as to whether or not I should be doing, you know, speed, speed work sessions. Um, and <laughs> he's kind of on the side of like, can we cut it short? And I'm like, I can go slower, you know, like I can watch my heart rate and make sure that, I'm keeping it under control, but I'm, 
I, you know, I, I, even today I'm asking myself, you know, what is it about doing workouts that draws me in, makes me want to continue to do it, even when I know that I'm only going to get bigger and slower um, <laughs> at this point. So, um, and it's just that, like, I enjoy pushing myself and challenging myself, whether it's like hitting splits accurately or trying to find a pace that's even if it's a pace that I never even worked out at before all of this, um, you know, because it's much slower than I actually would have targeted before. But I think it's also really important to me um, for my coaching to stay in the mindset of doing workouts and um, remember what that feels like. So just stay in touch with it, whether that's on the bike because I'm injured or if it's, you know, on the, on the roads because I'm pregnant, <laughs> you know, like um, it's, I think it's really helpful for me to stay in touch with that. Absolutely. And, you know, mental is such a big part of uh, sports or really anything people choose to do as their hobby um, or their career. Uh, so for you, do you have a, a particular like spiritual inspirational, some kind of motto or mantra, something you live by or that you think about you know, while you're out there running? Yeah. So I, for every marathon, I do like to come up with a specific mantra for that marathon. And it kind of usually comes to me like the week before or so. Um, but for my, for several years, I actually was planning a tattoo, um, that I, my husband ended up getting also when we were engaged. Um, and it's Aus Liebe, which means from a place of love. And it begins, it's the beginning of an aria in the St. Matthew's Passion, um, that is Aus Liebe will mein Heiland sterben, which means like out of love or from a place of love, our savior is willing to die. And I think that, you know, if the ultimate sacrifice is willing to be made out of a place of love, then what can I not do out of a place of love instead of shame or anger or spite or something like that? So that's something that we both kind of committed to for our marriage now. <laughs> How successful we are all the time is another question, but... That's not what mantras are about. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a commitment, getting that tattoo before you get married. So that's a <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were committed. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And then, uh, um, and your name, Esther, I think you, when, when I asked you uh, before the interview, you had to pronounce it. You said, like, Esther from the Bible, like from the Bible, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And the last of the fast four uh, on the hot seat here is, uh, what is something unique about Esther Atkins? Um, well, I started playing cello when I was three, um, and that was probably something that, uh, actually made me better at running ultimately, because I had to lug around that big thing, um, my whole life, (laughs) and, um, I used to have to carry it like a half mile from one campus to another and that kind of thing. Um, so it made, made, by the time I actually started running, it was a lot easier because I wasn't hauling around something most people would say it was bigger than me. <laughs> well, see, that's a challenge. You could do like a marathon or like a trail race with, with a carrying a cello around. See, there you yeah, go. Yeah, please don't do that to your cello. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> please don't, yes. <laughs> well, well um, diving into some uh, some important issues here, um, you know, we're still, you know, a year later, we're obviously still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and and, uh, you know, it's, it's um, been frustrating for all of us and, and tragic, um, but uh, in terms of runners and people that are looking for races that are open, 
Um, you know, it's, it's been tough because a lot got canceled last year and still getting canceled in 2021. I know, you know, you're, um, you know, you're leading one of these McCurdy trained micro marathons in South Carolina. And we talked in that previous episode about how you're able to do that. So, you know, for you, uh, as somebody that is a pro runner and a coach and you're, you're dealing, you're talking to your athletes, what's it, what's it been like, uh, in the world of running and, and athletics, dealing with COVID and, and, and are you seeing things kind of open back up a little more now? Yeah. So first of all, what it's been like, uh, as a coach during this time, I am remembering last year, you know, a lot of people thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks and <laughs> I kind of had a feeling it wasn't, but I had no idea it was going to be a whole year. Um, and it's been, I think a, a self-discovery time for a lot of runners of like figuring out why, why do we actually do it? Just mm-hmm. like I was talking about with, you know, working out during pregnancy, like why am I wanting to do a workout? Like what's, what's the value in it? And I think a lot of people were asking that question. They were either, you know, just running for fun or, um, they were doing workouts, but it was like, some people didn't, some people, it was self-explanatory. Like they just like working out, you know, like they just like doing actual like inter- speed, speed interval. Cause it's for, it's not boring. It's like entertaining. It's challenging. Um, and then other people were like, well, why would I do a workout if I'm not going to race? Yeah. You know? So, um, and I get both sides for sure. Um, especially coming from a competitive side every day has a purpose and, um, you're used to really focusing on something that's off in the future and not really, um, you know, and thinking about every day, every day's training in that context. And it's really hard when you have no idea what the future holds. And I think that's been obviously the biggest challenge for everybody during this time. It's just like a lot of people have compared, um, this COVID season to a marathon and said, it's like a marathon, but we don't know where the finish line is. So it's like, you don't even know how to pace yourself really. And I think that's been a real struggle for most of us. Um, now when it comes to the actual season, I think that our race that hopefully I'm really hopeful that this spring is going to be the last season where things are really canceled. Um, because it seems like the vaccine is really, um, coming along and getting distributed at a, a reasonable rate. And, um, I'm really, I am starting to get as, as pessimistic as I've been. I am starting to get very hopeful that the fall races truly are going to happen. It's going to be a really exciting, um, week of, I don't know. I think it's like eight weeks where all the world majors are going to happen at the same time. And, um, it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're all kind of stacked together now, which some people like and some people don't like. But it's going to be uh, uh, exciting for things to kind of open back up and be more of a, a sense of of normalcy for runners. Things, something kind of a, a a carrot, something to train for, right? For sure. And you, I know you're in Georgia, and I'm sure I know things have been happening. Like Atlanta was able to put on a um, a marathon at the Speedway, and there are certain events happening. But we really wanted to. At McCurdy Train, we wanted to create an opportunity for even the most, like, COVID-cautious clients of ours to have an opportunity to race. Um, Because, you know, everything's been canceled. I had a bunch of athletes who were like, oh, well, I'll just train for Boston in the fall last year. And I'm like, 
okay, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's hard to be the bearer of bad news, especially when they might end up not paying a coach because they're not going to have a marathon to train for, which happened with a few clients, but, and it's understandable. Um, if that's your objective, it's just simply to get a performance and guidance towards that performance. And I completely understand, but and yeah, you- I mean, it's, it has been somewhat challenging. Um, but for the most part, I've kind of seen it as, Hey, this is our time to shine. And this is when our clients actually need us the most is they need guidance. They need structure to their week, you know? Um, so it was, it was actually, it's been a, it's been a, a fun time for me to grow and learn as a coach as well. And, you know, these smaller races, you know, can be done. I mean, like, you know, the McCurdy trained micro marathons, you're talking about some are 40, mm-hmm. 40 people, some are limited to a hundred. You're doing a bottle waters. It's kind of a, a closed course and, and very limited number of people. So it's, it's one of those things where it, it can be done. You just have to be flexible and, and do what you need to do. Right. Yeah. And they're all loop courses essentially, because there's, I mean, you can't be shutting down roads, um, or like public thoroughfares for a tiny race just because that's very expensive um and if you're only going to have 40 participants you know you're not bringing in a a bunch of money with registration fees so um that's part of the the setbacks of it but the the idea is that we could get some people who are going to set times that would actually get us get them into either races this fall or races in the spring of 2022 yeah, well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, and kind of way before the pandemic, kind of going back in time a little bit with you, um, when you, because uh, you talked earlier about how you really didn't run in high school, and uh, but you did run at Case Western Reserve University, uh, kind of as have gone, you're now one of the most, if not the most decorated runner from there. And uh, from yeah. what I understand, you were uh, recruited off of a treadmill as as a freshman there so tell me about that where did you i guess you had no intention of being a a college runner or yes well okay so i um i ran a little bit in middle school to be honest and i was pretty good at it but i knew that i wanted to study abroad my junior year of high school so i decided not to um run at all my freshman and sophomore year because i knew that i wouldn't be able to pull myself away so at that time i really just focused on my um, music. And then I went away to Germany and I gained about 15 and 20 pounds and decided that I wanted to come back the same size as I left and not have to buy new clothes. (laughs) Um, and so I told myself I wasn't allowed to shower unless I went for a run. And I basically fell in love with it. I mean, obviously it was a, it was a new challenge for me. I was going longer distances and, um, I mean, I just ran the same route every night. And I remember like the jubilation that I had when I finally ran under 27 minutes, but I don't know what that means. Cause I've still don't know exactly how long my, my route was, <laughs> um, you know, so it's just, I learned, I learned to really love that like competition with myself and the, and the joy that you can get from self-improvement. Um, and yes, I did lose most of the weight that I had gained because I was also taking care of myself a little bit better. Um, and so once I came back, I actually kind of left off the running a little bit. And then my high school coach saw me come out to the track for, um, two laps just as a aerobic, my like cardio for the day. 
Um, and I decided I'm being a very competitive person. I jumped in with his cross country runners and just ran one of their 800, um, repeats. And I was actually telling my girls about this recently and the high school girls. I was like, well, I jumped in and I ran somewhere around 250 for an 800, you know, not warmed up, um, just jumped right in <laughs> And I, of course, he was very impressed. But what he didn't know is that I got it back in my car, which was a stick shift at the time. And my legs were so sore (laughs) that I could not actually extend my left leg enough to put in the clutch and turn on my car. Wow. I had to put my seat back and lay down. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say I was probably more sore after that five, after that half mile than um, after most of my marathons, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that's what lack of training will do. But either way, he uh, ended up approaching me, the coach and told me to come out for track. And I ended up doing pretty well. My um, indoor and outdoor season, I really developed a a love for the sport and, you know, it took one coach to tell me to run every day. And I never looked back that if I ran every day, I would improve. And I never questioned it. No doubt I was going to get in my run no matter what. And I had been told my entire life to practice cello every day. And I'd never been able to pull myself to do it. So it's just like when you, you can learn discipline from one area of your life and then apply it once you actually really find that thing that you love to do. Yeah. Yeah. From, from the, from the cello to the, to the track. (laughs) Yes, exactly. For sure. And so, you know, how do you, you know, you go from, you know, uh, Case Western Reserve um, University and after that you're running in the USA Marathon Championship and a spot on the, on the team, you know, in 2015. So how do you make that leap? Were you, I mean, really improving? Were you, um, you know, getting faster and faster and kind of saw that you were going to be, you know, I can, I can do this. Right. So actually, similarly to, um, when I went to high school, I also didn't plan on running in college. Um, and like you said, I was, I just showed up during orientation. I was still working out a little bit and running some. So I ran to the rec center and, um, the coach saw me, coach Lenny saw me out of her window and actually came and grabbed me off the treadmill and said, or actually it might've been an elliptical, but either way (laughs) (laughs) and said, Hey, you look like a runner. Would you like to run cross country? She was honestly pretty desperate for runners at that time. Um, and I said, well, I was thinking about doing track because I fancied myself an 800 runner at that time. And uh, she was like, well, let's just get you a physical just in case. So I went and got a physical and that was that. Um, and I ended up being a six-time All-American and D3 champ. So I came away from college knowing, like, even before I graduated, I found out that I was going to be teaching abroad in Austria. Um, and as soon as I accepted that position, I also signed up for the Berlin Marathon. Um, Sounds like some really, really beautiful places to run, you know, Austria and Berlin. Yeah. 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 Vienna was an amazing place to run. I, I think honestly, it's probably one of the, definitely the best city for training venues. And that's part of why they did the, the breaking two, where he actually broke two was where I did all of my training while I was living in Vienna. Mm. Amazing. Um, wanted to just break three hours for the marathon for my first one. Cause I knew 
it was 2008 and the Olympic trials standard, although that was a goal of mine, um, there was no opportunity for me to do that until 2010. So I just wanted to start off with a good foot and, um, I ended up running 246 with nice. dead even splits. It was a 123, uh, Oh three and one twenty three twelve or something like that. Oh, seven um, seconds slower. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, about know. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a very close to, uh, even split. So, um, I'm pretty proud of that. And I think, you know, I was 14th at, at uh, Berlin and on my first marathon. Now that was before it was like really, um, super competitive, but still, I'm still really pleased with that debut and it was quite a shock. Absolutely. Um, but obviously it was a great introduction to marathoning and made me really confident and, um, some other friends who I met, over the next year or so, um, who actually knew about running were like, this is actually very good, Esther. Like, you should probably pursue running a little bit more than just, like, as a hobby. Then <laughs> I ended up going to Zap Fitness for three years, which is where I met my husband. And um, I worked my butt off, and I ran a lot of miles. Um, and I think I was possibly a little bit overtrained, but... I never got injured, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, never fully injured. I was just a little bit banged up. So as soon as I left and went back to working with Terrence Shea, um, we dialed it back a little bit, undertrained me a little bit, and then everything kind of came together. And I um, ran 2.34 for the first marathon at the end of um, in October of 2013 for third place at the U.S. Champs that year. And then um, in the spring of 2014, which is an amazing Boston, um, I ran 2.33. And then the following fall, I came back to Twin Cities and I ran 2.34 flat um, with a bathroom break. And I won, <laughs> and I won the U.S. championships there. Um, and that is what actually gave me the spot on the world championships team for 2015 in Beijing. You should you should have that in parentheses for that that uh, that time like with yeah a, with, exactly. with, with, it with a bathroom been break two thirty three thirty but it could have been yeah <laughs> well but maybe not I don't know I think that bathroom break like uh, talk about you know moments of clarity <laughs> I knew I had to go to the bathroom and so when I got inside I just told myself listen it's going to take as long as it's going to take. So just enjoy the rest, you know, make the most of the rest, a little recovery break. So, and it's, it's like um, a, it's like a relief. It's like a weight lifted when you, oh, you know, yeah, step out. So you know? Yeah. So it's, a, you get a renewed sense of like, man, I can go faster now. So, um, just like an interval, you know, you take a little <laughs> rest break and then, yeah, exactly. And for, you know, for amateur runners that are listening, perhaps and like myself, who is, uh, trying to break four hours, uh, which, you know, happen, you know, um, I started, yeah. I started running at 37, so I was a little late to life, uh, late, late sure. to the game there. But, um, so what would you say to folks about like, you know, how you achieve that, that 233, that 234, was it? Uh, was it like, you know, Esther is just has this, you know, raw talent? Was it like just a ton of hard work? Was it coaching? I mean, kind of what was uh, what would you attribute that, uh, you know, kind of that success as you kind of drop that uh, that time down? It's funny to say this now that I've been injured for two years, um, but I would say that my raw talent was twofold. Obviously, I'm built for the longer distances. Um, but the other thing was that I was able to tolerate a lot of work 
um, and not enough recovery without getting hurt. Um, so I would say that looking back now as a coach on my college career, I definitely, and my coach told me this at the time, don't worry. Um, I definitely wasn't recovering between workouts enough. Um, and so I probably could have achieved more in college had I listened to her and had I, you know, actually dialed it back on my recovery days. But I think similarly to, um, what happened when I came out of zap is that I was a little bit, I had overtrained myself in college. Um, and coming out of college, once I kind of found the right rhythm and actually believed in my coach, um, which is no fault of my college coach, <laughs> I believe in her now, but you know, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't mature enough to listen. Um, but working with Terrence Shade, I really just trusted him to work me right up to the right point. Um, and I was able to trust that I had put in enough work that I could really recover on the easy days. Um, and I think once I, once that trust came in and the proper training and proper recovery, um, I was able to really manifest all of the work that I had put in at Zap and also at, at Case Western. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, uh, done a great job and, you know, that the mental part of the, of, of a game, a sport, of running is such an important part of it. And I think I read somewhere that you had, you know, bouts of severe performance anxiety kind of earlier in your career. What would you say to folks about, you know, that, that kind of worry about like, you know, stepping on, you know, the, the, the start line and, and worry, yeah. so, so focused on the numbers or whatever else, um, focused on, I need to beat this person or I need to do this or I'm not a success. What would you say to them? Cause I mean, I know you've dealt with some of that. Right. So I think mine was, um, primarily a fear of losing to people. Um, because I, the way that it worked in terms of the, the type of competition I was seeing in my weekly meets, um, in college was, I was mostly just seeing people who I could beat. Um, and then when I would get to nationals, I would just completely freak out because I didn't even know what, what I was just so afraid of watching people run away from me. Um, and I think what really helped me then, and is something that I referenced earlier, which is basically that concept of, um, realizing that your competition are actually your teammates when it comes to distance running, um, they're there to make you faster. And as long as you see them in that way, um, you're going to benefit from them. And it, once you start to see them as something that's going to hurt you or make you worse, um, or they that they're eliminating your opportunities. Now, obviously, I wanted to win the national title the year that I won because it was going to provide me an opportunity to go compete in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Had I not won that, um, there is a scarcity there. There was only one spot. So had I not won it, I probably would have lost that spot. Um, and, but for most of us, there's no actual scarcity. Like, okay, you're either going to win the master's division or you're not going to win the master's division. But the fact is, if you know that there's another woman who's in her forties in your race or her fifties or 55s or whatever it is you know like if you know that there's somebody else in your race they're going to make you faster and you're going to get a better result because of it if you let them um but if you let the fact that they're beating you get into your head and slow you down and make you feel bad about yourself instead 
that's where you're just defeating yourself. And so I think that's the, that's what ultimately was able to pull me out of that was I did have a couple, um, national races where I would hyperventilate and I could barely see by the time I was finishing a race. Hmm. Um, and what I learned was how to basically take all those girls. Cause a bunch of the girls in my conference would end up at national. So I knew them pretty well by then, um, by my junior year. And so what I did was I basically decided, just made a decision. These girls are my teammates. They are here to make me faster. And I cared about my teammates. I would have been pumped if I had teammates who could actually like kick my butt in a workout because I knew that would make me faster. Um, And so I applied that to those national races. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to let my teammate beat me in a race because I'm still competitive. Yeah. But I also don't feel as threatened by them because I know they're there to help me. Yeah. They're your, your teammates. And that's like you said, you have that sense of togetherness, your teammates and also people you're racing against, you know, whether Olympic trials or wherever else. And, and, you know, from, uh, you know, your back of the Packers, you know, average, uh, athletes or runners all the way to elites, there's, there's, you know, a lot of different, um, ideas about what you do during a run, you know, a training run or during a race or whatever else. Um, like for me, you know, I, um, I'll listen to podcasts or whatever else, maybe during a long run and kind of make, I'm learning Mm -hmm. something or hearing something meaningful while I'm out there for three or four hours. Uh, and then maybe when I'm trying to run faster, a 5k or a racing a marathon, I'm listening to music. What about you? I mean, do you, because you know, you hear sometimes elites are like, okay, it's like they're dead set against it. Like I'm going to listen to my breathing. I'm going to listen to my footsteps. I'm going to focus on like just be in the zone, you know, for you. I mean, so funny. do you listen to music as well or? So I have a friend who asked me that question today. She saw me pull out my headphones before a run and she's like, do you listen? What do you listen to when you run? And I said, I actually have from day one, when I started running in Germany, I always listened to music when I was running. Um, I think I had a tape deck at that time. <laughs> set player. Um, a Walkman, then, a Walkman maybe, you know? Yeah. Walkman. That's what, it, that's what they were called. Yeah. Um, and then I graduated to a CD player. That was awkward. And then <laughs> that does not, does not fit in your pocket. IPod. Yeah. So I've always listened to music. Um, obviously I won't do it if I'm running with somebody else, but, um, I mostly end up, ended up running alone. Um, by the time I was, even when I was in college, just because of my music schedule being kind of off. So I couldn't really go to practice on the days that we weren't doing workouts. Um, so I would listen to music, uh, all the time. And then I realized that I was running too fast on my easy days, as I mentioned before. Um, and so what I started to do is I started listening to this American life on my easy days. And it was really funny because there was like, you know, there's always a kind of a climax in every episode of a good podcast that's well put together. And, um, I would ultimately end up in tears or laughing my hat you know, my head off or whatever it was, um, at this specific intersection on my run. And I always thought, I was like, these people must think I'm crazy if they pass at this hour every, every week. And they just see this woman like out by herself laughing and, uh, and possibly crying. <laughs> um, and so that was really helpful to me because I think it did slow me down enough so that I could at least like follow what they're talking about and, um, and not get pumped up by the music. And then 
I've basically used podcasts more and more. Um, now there's so many podcasts, including this one. Um, and so there's so much to listen to. I remember I used to actually run out of podcasts. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. And, you know, I, I think the fact that you put in the headphones, you know, as a coach, as an elite athlete, as somebody who's who's been at the top, you know, um, I think it makes you, you know, relatable. People are like, hey, I listen to music too, and I run a marathon in, you know, six and a half hours, you know. Yeah, like that. and I so. think the a point I do want to make is when you have an opportunity to run with someone, take it, you know, yes. actually have, actually have a conversation. Like had I actually had conversations on my easy days, I would have run even more appropriate to my recovery pace. Um, so I think that is something that a lot of Americans particularly miss out on is the community aspect of running. So I'm all for like looking for your local, um, running shop group runs and pub runs and whatever you can find just to find good running partners and meet new people. Yeah. Group runs, definitely the fellowship makes that a uh, 10 miler, that 20 miler go by uh, quite a bit faster. It seems like it's so least. much faster. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, and we talked earlier about, you know, you're uh, currently uh, coaching um, high school and with McCurdy train. Um, but also um, you talked uh, briefly about dealing with an injury over the last year and a half, two years with your Achilles or in other places, perhaps, what would you, you know, say to folks, you know, um, because sometimes, you know, people get older and that's why they deal with injuries or maybe they're overuse or something like that. Um, would you, you know, people like lists. So are there like for you, you know, as a coach or as somebody who's dealing with it yourself, like maybe three or four things, you know, that are like paramount for maybe either preventing injuries or, you know, dealing with them when you have them? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of debate about the use of ice because um, it's something that we learn when we're young and you bang your, bang up something like bang your knee or your elbow or your head or whatever, and your mom always puts ice on it. Well, that makes sense because it's an acute injury. Um, but when it comes to chronic injuries or some kind of overuse injury, generally that stuff comes up over time and the inflammation that you're feeling is actually your healing response. Like your body is trying to heal itself. So it's not really helpful to put ice on that. It, it might make you feel a little bit better, but it's not going to speed up the healing process um, because your body really needs that inflammation in order to um, move things along. So that's one thing. Um, I mean, I also think that maybe the ice baths I took in college made me tough. <laughs> so there's something to like get from it for sure. Um, but I don't, and also there's like, you know, cryotherapy and there's all kinds of like cold therapy as, as like a mental aid, but it's not necessarily making your mitochondria and your legs recover faster. Um, that has somewhat been proven, although it's still controversial, <laughs> but, um, I would say, so that's one thing to not necessarily do. I'm a big fan of heat. Um, I think that is helpful, especially prior to a run. If you've got something that's kind of like tight, um, using either a heating pad or a heated blanket, something like that to, um, to warm things up for you. I think warming up as we get older becomes way more important. And it's, it's funny because like we can be self-conscious easily <laughs> And not want to do um, drills and sh dynamic stretching and all the stuff that we know we actually need to do in order to um, get our bodies ready to run. 
And in fact, like sometimes it's just better to walk for five minutes before you start running. Yeah. Um, even for us elites, like, or it's to, to shuffle jog, like don't even count it as part of your run. Cause it's going to slow down your run so much or do, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but you know, like just to get out the door and not feel like you have to go really fast to like right off of that. I think sometimes our watches can be detrimental in that way. And, you know, platforms like Strava can be a little bit hard on, on those of us who need a longer time to warm up. Um, so I think if you're worried about that, then find a way, um, to let yourself kind of ease into the run a little bit more, even if that means like, I know some of us, some of the older runners also get up really early to run because that's what life gives us. And so it just means that you're going to maybe have to do some things in bed before you even get out of bed um, in order to, to get things moving. And whether that's like stretching or just even like kind of brushing your toes back against the, the sheets and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think just being kind of aware that you, your needs will change as you get older. Um, another thing is, like I said, the recovery pace. Now people get really confused about easy days. Easy days are most important when you have hard days. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like some people get really wrapped up in like, Oh, my easy pace has to be this. Well, if you're not doing any workouts and you're only, only I say, if you're running about <laughs> 20 to 30 miles a week, you can probably run a little faster than what, you know, your quote unquote easy pace should be. Mm -hmm. Um, now if you are doing some hard intervals in there, then you're going to need the day before and the day after to probably be pretty easy. Um, that's important and you're going to recover better. And then the other thing is as we get older, it takes a few more days to recover during the week. Um, so you can probably get in one high quality day and maybe one medium quality day per week. Yeah, because like for me, I'm used to running, you know, um, during my previous marathon trainings, maybe 30, 40 miles a week and not really high volume. But but this time around, training for your race, um, just uh, like either last week or the week before that, I hit 65 miles, the most oh, I've wow. ever run in a week. And now I'm doing like in the 50s and stuff. But I, I can tell that my, my, my body's getting used to the, the, the pain, I guess, or the, the volume. But also it's kind of like uh, enjoys like when I go slower and yes. the, the easier efforts, like, whoa, this is nice. <laughs> yes. Thank you no, for this. That is a great point. So number one, um, that, yes, your body wants to run slower the more you run. So it's interesting because, like, I use the VDOT platform to coach. And, you know, we have an easy pace that's written there. And people who I – that my general rule of thumb is if you run less than 45 miles a week, um, your easy pace is probably faster than that range, or it could be slightly faster than that range. And if you run more than 65 miles a week, then your easy pace is probably slower than that range on, on your true recovery days. Um, another point that you just made is I remember each time I kind of moved up in mileage. The first time I did 60 miles a week, it was tiring, <laughs> you know, like, the first week of it was pretty hard. And then maybe I went back down and then I came back up to it. And when you come back up to it, it's actually fine. You know, like your body knows what to do with it as long as it hasn't been years since you've done it. Um, 
And that's the same thing goes for when you go up 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever, um, is that it takes a couple shots to feel good at something. Um, so don't, you know, give it one week at 65 out of nowhere and be like, oh man, that was awful. I'm never going to do that again. Um, <laughs> make sure that your, your builds are, are gradual oh, yeah. and appropriate and that you're, you know, as you're building, you're probably even potentially getting a little bit slower on your easy days um, so that you can accommodate that mileage. Um, I think that's one of the things that actually keeps people from doing more mileage is that they don't like seeing those slower numbers. And so they're like, no, I can't handle it. It's like, no, if you actually slowed down, you would be able to handle it and you would still benefit from it more than doing 30 or 40 miles a week. Yeah. And, and one last thing I wanted to ask you about, um, I know that you were just talking about rest and sleep. And, um, so hopefully you're getting a lot of that before you have your baby, um, as now a mom to be, um, tell me about, I, I know this is an exciting time for you and your husband, but, uh, you know, I know also, um, one of the kind of, you know, obviously worst things that's happened in your life, you know, when I read a previous interview you did was having a miscarriage. So what's it, what's it been like for you and, and your husband kind of going through that and then now, being pregnant again and kind of, you know, um, you know, really hoping and praying for the best. Yeah, we, um, we feel pretty lucky. So it's, I honestly think that, you know, I can't speak for everyone who's had a miscarriage and I know that other people obviously have completely different experiences, but because mine were only 17 and 20, I had two miscarriages, 17 days and 20 days of gestation, Um, and honestly, if I have to be honest, like they felt more like now, especially now that I've made it 17 weeks, those felt more like false starts, Yeah, you know, (laughs) like, a like, Oh, let's recall, you know, start over. Cause I barely even like got my cycle off track, you know, for those. So it was, it was, it was fine for, for us. Like it was disappointing for sure, but it was more like. I mean, especially after the second one, because I was only 34, I wasn't able to get like appropriate. Well, I now see it as appropriate care for um, uh, fertility. And so that was that was just the alarm that they needed to to give me that care. So it honestly I see it as a blessing in a couple ways. Like it made us more more excited for this pregnancy. It made me psychologically and emotionally more prepared and excited for this pregnancy. And honestly, I think, you know, we're just really grateful and excited. And um, I've been super lucky because this pregnancy has been very easy for me um, in comparison to many of the people I know. And so <laughs> and I, I can't help but wonder if, you know, obviously there's lots of hormonal things and all kinds of uh, things that go on that, that make everybody's experience different. But I can't help but wonder if those two losses made this one so much easier for me. Um, just because I'm just grateful to be pregnant. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, uh, I think that, uh, he or she will have a lot of miles under his or her belt when, uh, when they're born, because you are continuing to run, but, uh, maybe you might, you might listen to your husband and, and slow down a bit, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, there are days where I just can't run fast. And so sure. that's fine. You know, it is what it is. I'm grateful to be out there and moving. And then other days where it's my Achilles is actually slowing me down and not, not my belly and, you know, not my hormones. 
Um, so it is, you know, it's a give and take. And I know that, uh, I have a good network of other runner moms out there, um, who can help me through. And I'm only running about 30 miles a week right now. And, um, so it's not, not too bad. Um, and I fully expect that it will slow down. And once I'm fully vaccinated, I'll go back to the pool and, um, get some swimming in and do some, uh, cycling on my indoor bike. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, you're getting a lot. Of, you're getting a lot of exercise, in. and uh, looking forward to uh, running your race in Greenville, South Carolina, the McCurdy trained micro marathon. It's going to be a lot of fun to, like you said, have an in person race and and uh, be safe uh, and, and do the, all the proper precautions, but at least to still be out there and kind of uh, be at the start and the finish. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm pumped that you are training so much, and you're definitely going to kill that four hour goal. Um, and also I didn't like, I'm, I'm honored to have a celebrity in our race. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'm sure I'm going to be lapped a few times by some of the uh, McCurdy trained athletes, but that's fine. I'm I'm going to, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to let that mess with my mojo, you know? Uh, so uh, it'd be fun, but, uh, I I appreciate you, uh, opening up about so much and talking to me, Esther, and, uh, appreciate your time and, uh, look forward to seeing you, uh, in Greenville soon. Yeah. Great. Can't, can't wait to see how you do. Esther was great to talk to. I'm looking forward to meeting her in person at that marathon where I'm hoping to PR and maybe even get close to, you know, four hour mark. So uh, we'll see how I feel. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun getting out there and uh, hitting the start line, as we talked about earlier. Uh, As a runner and a coach, she said she's learned a lot about injuries. She's coached, you know, dozens and dozens of adult runners all over the nation. And uh, a lot of people asking questions about recovery. And, you know, most recently, I I think just a few months ago, she posted this on Facebook. It's a pretty inspirational thing. I'm going to read it to you. She says, I dream a world where truths spread faster than lies, where faith makes people kind, where respect coexists with disagreement, where we seek to listen as a means of being understood, where we can trust that if we look out for more than just our own, the world will look out for us in return. Well said, Esther. Well said. Now to our uh, final segments of the podcast, uh, some uh, a parting gift from the Bible, some food for thought about smiling, since uh, Esther talked about that, and a closing prayer. We're going to start with uh, an article that I found off of uh, Pop Fitness, uh, some food for thought for you. It's uh, the article called, uh, Can Smiling Make My Workout Better? This is by Maggie Ryan. Uh, She says, uh, there's some evidence that smiling can really kind of trick your brain into thinking that you're happy, uh, triggering those feel-good hormones that we're all looking for, and dopamine. And and, uh, there was a a UK study a few years ago, tested the benefits of smiling in a fitness capacity. And so they uh, asked... uh, you know, people, the, the researchers to ask groups of runners to jog while smiling, frowning, relaxing their upper body, or uh, using their usual mental workout strategies. Well, the participants, the results show that the, those who smiled were the most efficient, and they had a, reported a, quote, lower perceived effort. The lead researcher told the New York Times, smiling probably leads to overall muscle relaxation, which in turn, you know, gets to, to better overall performance. Now, there is, you know, some, a caveat to that. If you are forcing yourself to smile, it's less likely you're really rela- relaxing. So genuine smiles, you know, when you your eyes light up and it brightens, you brighten your cheeks and you feel it feels the most natural, that's when it really can impact and improve your workout. Some of the best athletes in the world have used this trick of the smiling. In fact, champion marathoner, 
Elia Kipchoge smiled through the last few miles of his two-hour and 25-second marathon in May of 2017. That was the fastest at the time of 26.2 miles. Now he's he's broken two hours. So uh, congratulations to him, the, the smiling Elliot. And uh, so it can feel awkward at first to smile, but uh, but even if you have to fake it, you know, uh, it, it will help you out. I promise. Now to our parting gift from uh, the Bible, Proverbs 15:13 through 15. Speaking of smiling, it says, A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. And we all want to have that feast and, and have that joy and not uh, not have a, a crushed spirit. And, uh, you know, we're going to be seeking knowledge and, and helping other people out and being happy and joyful. And so uh, I think that that glad heart and uh, the happy heart and smiling really can have that impact. And can it be a witness to other people? Because if you're not happy, then why would people want to do what you're doing, whether it be, you know, running or working out or or, or uh, going to church or in the Word? You know, if, if you're not happy, then it's not something that, that they're going to be attracted to, perhaps, right? Dear God, I just thank you for this opportunity to uh, to uplift you and to, to talk about um, how, um, you know, having a happy heart, having joy uh, that, that, you know, crosses all understanding uh, through you only. And uh, Lord God, we just uh, thank you for the ability to run a marathon and uh, that we give you the glory every single step of the way. Um, and God, that just continue to help us as more and more people get vaccinated uh, in this pandemic, help our world heal us. Uh, not just health-wise, but mental-wise as well. There's so much mental health issues out there, Lord God, that we know that uh, we, we seek you, we seek your truth, and uh, we seek wisdom from you in terms of what to do next and, and how, how to help this world. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much again for uh, for joining us for uh, Run the Race, which is a, a title based off a, a verse in Hebrews about running the race with perseverance, finishing strong, uh, not just talking about running race, but uh, the race of life. And uh, if you want to listen to any of the previous, you know, 57, 58 episodes of Run the Race, you can go to uh, um, WTVM.com slash podcast. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Google, Stitcher. Uh, we're on Apple. And so if you go to the bottom of the Apple page, we'd love for you to give us some feedback. Uh, so go down there, maybe listen to some previous episodes if you want. Go to the bottom of the Run the Race page on Apple Podcast and write a quick review. Just click on five stars if you like it that much. And then just, you know, put a couple sentences in there, whether you like it or not. You know, we, we want to hear the good, bad, and the ugly So uh, for Run the Race. And we're going to continue on and have some great guests in the near future talking about fitness and faith. Hope you have a great start to spring.